2: Bengals fans, welcome into another day of the Locked On Bengals podcast. Today we have official news of Kerry Wynn signing. We have Mike Brown quotes out of Arizona, and we have renewed and fervent speculation that you can write in pen that Kyler Murray is going to be the number one pick in the NFL draft, which along with some quotes from Mike Brown, we will renew our consideration of trading for Josh Rosen. That'll be the second half of the show. First, I want to get to a couple of replies we had to the 2014 redraft. A few of you told us some of the guys that you would have really liked out of that draft class. And one of you, Dean at DD Merritt, actually said going off of his board, off of his memory, For 2014, his number one would have been Teddy Bridgewater, which lines up with us. His number two would have been Jarvis Landry or Carlos Hyde. His number three would have been Trey Turner, which we talked about yesterday. Number four would have been Telvin Smith, which is what you had, I think, at four. His fifth round pick would have been Marion Grice, running back. Number six would have been Shamar Steven, a defensive tackle. And number seven would have been defensive end Michael Sam. So some agreement there, at least in the top four rounds and some of the guys we talked about. And the other one was, who was it, Joe? Tracy McBrady. Tracy right? McBrady. Is that his last name? I don't think
1: so. Tracy McGrady, uh, the, the former player, former uh, Orlando
2: Magic. And Toronto Raptor? Yeah. I th- and think Raptors first, right? With Vince Raptors Brady. first, and then also Houston Rockets. Yeah, we're right. not an NBA podcast folks. Uh anyway, you have an NBA that, team, <laughs> uh I was born in Chicago, so ah uh, I,
1: I was an Orlando Magic fan just cuz uh Penny Hardaway and Shaq in the early 90s yeah. had a starters jacket.
2: Remember those starters jackets yeah,
1: in the early I 90s? Yeah, sure I do. Edwin.
2: I I love Penny Hardaway, but I grew up my parents, you know, were watching the Bulls in my house because they you know, I was born in Chicago, right? So
1: and that time frame makes sense.
2: Yeah, and there was six championships in my childhood. So that was easy, easy to be a bandwagon fan of as a two year old. But anyway, Tracy McGrady wanted Kevin Pierre Lewis and Aaron Lynch, who Aaron Lynch was on my list for sure, and I think Kevin Pierre Lewis might have been on my list of guys that they could have redrafted as well. Yeah, both were near the
1: top of my board. Once we got to about the fourth round, I was a big fan of Kevin Pierre-Lewis. He was a undersized but very athletic uh, linebacker out of Boston College. Ended up going to Seattle, I want to say, in the fourth or fifth, and really was just a special teams player for most of his career. I'm not even sure he's still playing. We didn't look him up before the show, but... Uh, The other guy, Aaron Lynch, has had some success in the NFL, and I believe he was a fifth or sixth rounder. Uh, And again, he was near my board a few times, but I tried to take the best guy on the top and not just cherry pick it.
2: And, of course, we'll continue to do that. We'll take the same approach to 2015, 2016, and then I don't know if we're ready to do 2017, but certainly 2015 is one that we're excited to redo because of what a colossal strikeout that draft was for the Cincinnati Bengals.
1: Yeah. In 2016, I mean, I I, don't, I would find it hard to think we don't take William Jackson, but we're not there yet.
2: I just, yeah. I just, he was really high on my board. It'll probably be William Jackson in the first, who knows about the rest. We'll get there another day. Gary Wynn officially signed with the Cincinnati Bengals, announced as a one-year deal. He is a guy that you probably hadn't heard of before they signed him. He was a backup role player type for the New York Giants. He was an undrafted free agent in the 2014 NFL draft. He was on the list for consideration in the seventh round you heard us talk about yesterday, just because he's ended up signing with the Bengals. So I put him on the list as a guy you could consider late. Uh... His strength is really run defense. If you look at his pro football focus data, he is out of including Bengals defensive linemen. He would have blown them out of the water in run stop percentage. So has some high productivity as an edge player, occasionally kicking inside as a run defender, and did have a couple of games where he recorded four pressures, I think, yep, in 2018. So. I'm not that excited about this signing and we've talked about that on the show before, but if he comes in and plays fifteen snaps a game and provides good run defense and maybe the occasional pass rush, that's very much in the Wallace Gilberry mode of player. Yeah. Maybe a little bit less productive, uh a little bit more two dimensional though than Wallace Gilberry, I'd say. If he same with Chris Smith. Yeah, I'd same with
1: Chris, Chris Smith wasn't great against the run either. And they've always had a guy like this from Frosty Rocker, Jonathan Finane, yeah. uh, you know, and, and so on. Michael they've always Johnson. had it. Yes. In late, right. Later in his career. Yeah. They've always had a guy that was a base run defender and they kicked him inside defensive tackle. The added bonus with win. He's a pretty good special teamer.
2: He is a back of the roster guy, though, really. So if they were to get a Ed Oliver in the first round, if that's the way they end up going. Or if they find themselves with the falling Jerry Tillery or if Jeffrey Simmons comes back and let's say he's a second round pick when he's healthy. These are all guys that are going to start to eat away at some of those third down snaps where Carrie yeah. Wynn might stay on the field for those, you know, those obvious rundowns. Potentially, if it's not Sam Hubbard, if it's not Jordan Willis, whoever else is on the roster at that point.
1: And to take a guess, I'm thinking this contract is probably a one-year, like $2.7, 2800000 million deal. Uh, and for a guy that maybe only will play you know, 20 snaps a game on defense, but then maybe another 10 on, on special teams, um, I think that he could end up being a decent value uh, player because I think at this point he's on the active 45, and you can't say the same uh, with the backups at end or tackle on this roster right now.
2: So if we say his contract is two million dollars or whatever it is against the cap, if all of five million of Dark West and R's contract is a cap hit for twenty nineteen, which would mean it's fully guaranteed, I think, mm-hmm. uh that would leave the Bengals at twenty point eight ish million dollars of cap space. And yeah. that's the top fifty one cap figure. We will at some point we'll we'll have a cap one oh one day, I think. Uh, I was talking to my dad actually before the podcast and he's like, yeah, you guys talk about dead money and all these different kinds of cap space and cash spending. And I don't know what you guys are talking about. So maybe, maybe one day we'll, we'll have the right person on the show to talk about a little cap one Oh one to try to give that basic breakdown. But regardless point, there is top 51 cap space, which is a cap number that matters about 20.8 million if if those two deals come in around 7 million dollars of a cap hit which i think is probably shooting high yeah so you take another say 10 million off for the rookie deals that leaves them around 10 11 million which is and you
1: don't have to take off 10 we've discussed this but you i would say 10 for injury insurance and uh and rookie deals
2: and and yeah i'm not saying that you have to this is the way the bengals typically do count yes. the money though yes and so even if you take all that money off, they maybe sign a couple of guys that are waiver cuts. They release some of the draft picks. It ends up, they're going to float about $10 million and they do this every year. And maybe some of that money will get used toward extensions. They, this is a good transition actually to talk about what Mike Brown said today in Arizona. Sometimes they will use that money for extensions and, and they are obviously looking to extend Tyler Boyd today. Mike Brown said in Arizona that they would like to extend A.J. Green. And this is the first we've heard, I think, from the Bengals going on the record about wanting to offer A.J. Green a third contract.
1: And I don't think it's just going on record. He seemed confident about it. He said, uh, basically, I think we can come to an agreement on what his value is. And if we can, this should get done. And uh, for me, that's a great you know quote from him and a great line that makes you really feel confident that they will find a middle ground yeah. in and that they are interested in giving a third contract to a receiver it's funny cuz we've talked a few times this year that really it's rare and we had used Larry Fitzgerald as an example and then reports are Julio Jones is going to be next and Julio and Green have been neck and neck since they've been drafted didn't in terms Julio of Julio
2: get the 20 million dollar a year deal
1: he may have i i it was reports i didn't see if it ever oh, okay. got finalized okay. or not I, uh, I didn't but know. yeah So uh, if he gets it or not, but uh, it seems like that will happen in Atlanta. So him and Green have always been from being drafted just a couple picks apart to getting deals around the same time also and being highly productive and accomplished receivers. It sounds like they also will get third a third contract with the same team. So uh, good for him. And I'm excited for that to happen. But we should also hope that Tyler Boyd is shortly behind or with him at some point.
2: Yeah, and that's a that's one that the Bengals definitely want to get done, I think, according to the beat writers anyway, it's not really a question. That's something that they are working on, even, I think. Uh the exact quote from Mike Brown on AJ Green was, Oh, I think he's a proven commodity, isn't he? The price range for him will be something we will the price range for him will be something we can figure out will come together. So, you know, we talked about the injury risk this air with you know, older receivers because he's coming off of a couple of years where he's had injuries. But he says, you know, if AJ is healthy, he's as good a receiver as anyone in the league. However, if you thought that, oh, Andy Dalton only has two years left on his deal. Mike Brown did go on record today saying, I think it's a good year for Dalton to show he can like we think he will. After he reestablishes himself, we would want to get together with him and see if we can extend it. So Mike Brown saying, And not that it really needed to be said, because Dalton has two years left on his deal, and it's a very team-friendly deal as far as veteran quarterbacks go. Mike Brown said today, we're not going to extend Andy Dalton before this season. We're going to see how it goes. So maybe there's some open-mindedness there. Coming from the owner, this is kind of a a new tone, at least, from Mike Brown on Andy Dalton. And I think the key word for me that I took out of
1: this, and it's not just that there no consideration of of extending him right now, it's that they would like him to reestablish himself. And for me, I took that as, and for other things, I think it's because I'm putting two and two together sometimes in my mind. I'm taking this quote plus what I think I know and what I've been told is that they would like him to prove or play at the level – They saw in 2015, which he was a MVP-type candidate. It was his career year. It was his best year, obviously. Uh, It was maybe even the best quarterback production year in Bengals history. Uh, Maybe not for, if you take an era in consideration, but definitely uh, stats-wise on a a blank slate. So uh, I think they want him to get to that level. Uh, Some may have read that quote and said, well, they want him to make sure he plays the way he did last year, which was good enough, but he got hurt and things got hurt around him and everything fell apart. Uh, so maybe if they, he proves that again, they'll pay him. I believe they want to make sure uh, he can play at that 2015 level again. Because if you look over eight years, that one that one year is an outlier. I, I, with seven years looking mostly average in terms of production, they don't want to give that guy 25 million. They'd give 25 million, or at least consider giving 25 million to the guy if he can produce a 25 or 2015 season again.
2: And. There was a lot that went right in the 2015 season, of course, but that is, I think, the caliber of play that Dalton is capable of when everything does go right. And this is something that Dalton supporters would probably point to and say, "He had 2015. Why are we talking about Josh Rosen? Why are we talking about Dwayne Haskins? If, if you know, we have this guy that's proven, you know, we we think that we could have won the Super Bowl in 2015 if he didn't get hurt." Say, mm-hmm. Bengals fans. I also
1: think there's a chance that he's looking at it as no, very knowing very much because his next quote talks about how everyone got hurt last year and how it affected Dalton. I think he's very aware that Dalton is not a lifter of talent but a facilitator. He's a point guard. So he needs the talent around him. He needs people to stay healthy. He needs everything to go right in order to produce like 2015. And that fact, if he believes it, which it sounds like he does in the next line, uh, would give you hesitation to give that type of guy top-end money.
2: Yeah, and that quote that Joe's referencing is, we lost so many other pieces, it fell apart. But if he's healthy and we stay healthy enough, I have confidence in him. So that's quite a caveat on I have confidence in him if everyone's healthy, right? So maybe there's some nuance there and some selective word choice from Mike Brown. Because you can't expect everyone to be healthy. It was crazy. Healthy enough. Right. Right.
1: 2015 you look at it and all 11 starters made it through until Dalton got hurt he was the one getting hurt so there's that caveat of everyone stays healthy oh and if and if Andy Dalton stays healthy
2: we have confidence yeah we all did in 2015 we have not seen that in eight years Well, and so many of those guys have made that team that offense in specific work are in Los Angeles or New York or Detroit or Atlanta yeah I love the the quote also on Twitter uh, by Joel
1: Corey, and I'll read that real quick. It says, it never occurred to me that the Bengals would announce that Andy Dalton isn't getting a contract extension this offseason. The best single season for a quarterback in Bengals history ought to be required of Dalton for a new deal in 2020 to be given any consideration. And I think he nails that, and that's what I'm getting to by 2015. If he produces that again, then you consider it. Yeah, But until that, I don't
2: think you consider it. And I don't think the Bengals are. And they have the contract structured in such a way that they have these easy outs. Everyone freaked out. I'm sure you all remember. It. Everyone freaked out when the Bengals signed Andy Dalton to this contract extension. I freaked sh- out until we got the details. And then we got the details. And And first off, he's the 21st most expensive quarterback in the NFL. He still paid more than a rookie, obviously. We've talked about that a lot on the podcast. But no Cap penalty whatsoever. You can get out of that contract free as a bird this year or next year. If they somehow end up drafting, you know, Dwayne Haskins, he comes in and blows them away and he doesn't need time to develop after being a one-year starter, then they can cut Andy Dalton at the end of the preseason and save $16 million. I don't know what they spend that money on at that point, And there's no real point to me at this after most of free agency has happened to cut Andy Dalton at this point.
1: Yeah. But I do think Maybe they tried the to trade way, exactly where I was going because of the way they've been unassuming with a plan here, you know, not really from what it sounds like, they're not in on the Rosen thing. We'll talk about Rosen, but they're they're have made really no public I guess we can read between the lines and say there's been interest in draftable quarterbacks, but they've never they don't look like they're being aggressive, right? Like this time last year, the Jets were trading up. Buffalo was actively trading up, so you knew those teams were moving for them. Uh, the Eagles, a couple years ago when they got Carson Wentz, were actively trading up. These these teams were making moves but, already. But nobody so,
2: really is. So, but maybe, no one really is. Right? Maybe they maybe they have this idea that you know there's three guys. Maybe they feel okay about Drew Locke and Dwayne Haskins, and they're like, well, if one of them's there, we'll take him, and if not we'll go back to it next year and maybe next year we'll get aggressive or maybe they'll just continue being the Bengals.
1: Every few weeks I get a hint about it again, that there are smart NFL people or teams, NFL teams that are paying attention to what the Bengals are doing based on the fact that they believe the Bengals are, have interest in these draft quarterbacks. And um, every once in a while, someone will drop a line to me again that says, you know, this team thinks the Bengals are going to take a quarterback. What do you think? And, I, you know, just hearing that, it, it, and you hear it multiple times from different people that would know it. there may be some smoke or fire with that smoke. And, uh, yeah, I think that's the scenario. And then I, what I was saying is you wouldn't just cut Dalton, in my opinion. You would do kind of how the Eagles did with Carson Wentz. Great example again. They had Sam Bradford, remember? And then yeah. Teddy Bridgewater goes down. They were able to flip Bradford. I want to say it first. Am I crazy or was it a second? But it was a premium pick. It was and, a good deal. Uh, it was. And you do that in camp because these injuries happen and these teams that think they have got a chance are desperate at that point. I would love to see a desperate team that needs a quarterback get Andy Dalton and let them have that chance for a, for a premium pick. I mean, I think we'd all be down for that if, the, if they did end up taking a quarterback at 11.
2: Because if it's a team that's good and they just lose a quarterback, then Andy Dalton is a great fit. Perfect fit for any of those teams. What about what about the Patriots? Would the Patriots right. consider Andy Dalton if Tom Brady went down early in the right. season? Like, it depends. I think the
1: Patriots may be in the market for drafting a guy, but that doesn't mean you would get
2: that, that aside, a Super
1: Bowl. Right. You wouldn't get a Super Bowl, though, if you drafted a guy in the first or second round and not this year. And they're an older team for the most yeah. part.
2: So with Bill Belichick looking and to see Andy Dalton on that Tom Brady spectrum, well off of Tom Brady, obviously we're not saying that Dalton is Tom Brady, but the good pre snap, uh, very very good pre snap processing, and say you know what, with me and with our, again, I'm going to use institutional knowledge of the NFL, we can win with Andy Dalton, and I don't I don't know what you get. I, I feel like no, Bill I Belichick's always going to win the trade, but I mean maybe that's a place. Yeah, I'd love to see it. Because who else? Who else is going to have the talent really to say, you know what? Let's bring in Andy Dalton. I mean, may, maybe maybe the Rams. Pick any of these teams. That, yeah, sure. Pick any of these teams that don't have a great
1: backup. That were the final six teams or so. I mean, I'm not. Sure, I'm I'm drawing a blank here. But who's Seattle's backup? Who is the backup for the Chargers? Did they just sign someone? Yes, uh, uh, Tyrod Taylor. So yeah. I'm just thinking of one of those teams that felt like they are building for this hump for this run and then they lose their guy they would be the teams in most desperation willing to trade
2: so there is a world in which Andy Dalton does have trade value we didn't see that trade happen a lot of people are speculating with Washington and the reunite with uh, Jay Gruden out there but regardless that that is Jay Gruden had
1: some interesting comments also I don't know if you saw him during the uh, owners meeting Gruden talked about all the quarterbacks and had we someone the the uh, draft
2: quarterbacks
1: yeah all the draft quarterbacks and we've we've kind of complained a little bit about taylor being very bland in his responses and and other people have said the same but jay gruden was saying uh basically who he likes uh, how he likes the talent and and the bits and pieces of drew lock uh how he he i believe you mentioned will greer as a as an upside guy to be interested in but he also the, the the one to me was uh Dwayne haskins and and this was confirmed to me by somebody else right after, because it made me ask this, uh, that he views him as the one guy of these top guys that needs to sit to start his rookie year and uh, develop. And I asked about this with with, with the source, and they they agreed. And they agreed that other teams may view him that way. And if it's not the Jaguars at 7, it could be the Bengals at 11, and if not, it's a fall. This is not what the source was saying, but he was saying, there aren't many teams that are saying – we want Haskins over Drew Locke or even Daniel Jones. Surprisingly, Giants, it sounds like are really high in Daniel Jones. But uh that's something to be aware of. That there is a chance Haskins is there. And he may he may be the guy that wants to sit. And if that's the case, that's a great that's a great opportunity. The Bengals have that ability to offer yeah. that.
2: that that that's exactly what the Bengals would probably want to do. I wouldn't be surprised if Mike Brown wants to go back to the old Carson Palmer blueprint. The last time he really had a Quarterback he could hang his hat on that was a little bit of a talent elevator. Carson Palmer was really good. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of coaches talking about players, Vic Fangio said that neither Devin Bush nor Devin White are anywhere near Roquan Smith.
1: I just thought that was interesting. interesting. It is because originally I said I thought Roquan Smith was better. Uh, And then both tested, I mean, Roquan Smith did too, but both tested so well that I definitely can see a scenario where one goes before where Roquan Smith went last year and that could be the Bucks at Yeah, and the Bucks pick fourth or fifth, fifth, I think it is. Um that could happen. If not if not, it's funny because I've also heard the Bills not the Bills for for Roquan uh for Roquan for for Devin White. Uh, but the Bills and the Broncos, picking right before the Bengals, have very similar targets, it sounds, from like their draft guys that I am that I follow and I talk to. Uh, they keep naming the same guys. It's funny, both of them ne- mentioned Christian Wilkins this week to me, and I'm like, damn, we- we've heard Jeff Hobson mention him. We thought it was kind of crazy, but here's two teams right above the Bengals. Uh, the, if you talk to Broncos fans or analysts, they're like, we hope Ed Oliver's there. If not, it's Devin White. And I'm like, that's what we're saying. Geez, so one of these guys w- may break our hearts right in front of us, and I I think uh, that would be very interesting if we will debate, like we did last year, one pick ahead of you goes the guy that you really coveted this whole time.
2: And I, speaking of Christian Wilkins, I don't know how upset I up would be about Christian Wilkins if they miss out on Ed Oliver. If Ed Oliver goes nine and they end up drafting Christian Wilkins 11, I don't think that's the worst thing. But we'll talk about that, I think, another day. Let's yeah. get through the rest of the Mike Brown stuff here. Uh, it sounded like he was a little bit conflicted on letting go of Vontaze Perfect, but he did say that... He doesn't expect that he's going to have to defend whoever Vantez Berfect's replacement is. He thinks that some of the stuff that he was accused of, that being Vantez Berfect, was overblown, but he acknowledged that, you know, the Bengals had to deal with the repercussions of him being accused of all these things. So it sounds like, you know, part of him is is ready to be uh you know, ready to move on. Yeah. Yeah. He's rid of all those headaches. Yeah, he talks about a clear path forward. And I don't know if that's talking about we need a, a linebacker at 11 in the draft, and that's what's clear, or if it's just we don't have to deal with the muddy waters that came with Vontez Perfect anymore.
1: Yeah, and yeah, there was things, uh, he was under the microscope, right, especially over the last four years, but it, it intensified as everything uh, went on and social media grew, but even last year, if you remember the video of uh, it, what it appeared to be, he spit on Marshall Yanda in that pile, in even Marshall Yand or Mar- I'm sorry, Marshall, Marshall Yanda, Yanda spit, spit on him. Spit on him, yes. And he's uh, there was there was reports that Perfect did something first, and then Yonda had to say, "I never spit on anybody. That's not my character." John Harbaugh, and then I believe Marvin Lewis was defending Vontez Perfect also. So it's always always little scenarios where uh, it looks like perfect got into a scuffle with somebody in camp. And now Marvin's got to defend that and say, no more videos at camp. And uh, so it was always something with him minor that looked much worse because of his reputation that yeah. they had to defend and say, and go on the record. And, and I think they are happy not to have that headache. And plus it, it what made it easy? Cause Mike Brown mentions how good perfect was when he was focused and on and healthy. Uh, what made it easy is that he wasn't last year.
2: Yeah. I think that does help because he, yeah, you're right. He said, and I think everyone can agree when Bontez perfect was in his peak, when he was playing well, when he was on the field, he was a bit of a transformative player for the Bengals defense, but that has been few and far between, even when he was healthy for years, his first few games coming off his suspension is weeks, five, six, seven, when he's getting the groove of it, he he wasn't very good. And then his second half of the year, as long as he didn't have a neck stinger, he, he would also be good. Um, Other quotes from Mike Brown today out of Arizona. He talks about what it's going to be like to have a young coaching staff. Uh, It sounds like he's a little tenuous about it, but this is me just reading the quote. I didn't hear the way he talked about it. He says it's going to be quite different. He said, I think that's what our fans wanted. They felt we needed that. I think maybe they're right in how they feel. So he does give the fans some lip service here again. Similar comment to we heard to what we heard when he introduced Zach Taylor as a coach back in February. Kind of interesting.
1: Yeah, I, you know all of this. What he's saying is, I think how most people felt the, the chance to get young. And I thought the interesting part of this was. The optimism of turning this around quicker based on just having a new atmosphere, right, is how I felt he he was saying. A new energy, a new lift for the the roster and uh, potentially being better this year because of it and turning this around much quicker than I think some have assumed. Because even we have debated or or pondered the idea of a rebuild and what kind of rebuild is this. And some of that comes from you really don't know what you're going to get from Zach Taylor as the head coach. But there is a scenario, and I've said this, that – a lot of this roster plays much better just because of the coaching change.
2: Yeah, we have talked about that. And I think Bengals fans have talked about that too. And I think that's why maybe the Bengals, you know, they're they're not a team that's willing to go full rebuild on purpose. We haven't seen them be willing to do that since Marvin Lewis came to Cincinnati. I think even you could argue before Marvin Lewis came to Cincinnati, they were never trying to be, you know, they never had a plan. They were always trying to win as as quickly as they could, even in the dark ages, I think. If they had a plan, maybe they would have gone about team building a little bit differently. I Was 2011 the
1: closest, you think? Remember the transition from 10 to 11 and everything blowing up as they tried to bring on T.O. and really gear up the roster to make a run. They felt they had a really good roster going from 09 to 10, and it didn't work. And uh, then we had the lockout season, they, they or off season, I should say and Bob Bukowski was fired. They hired Jay Gruden, which seemed like a very risky move at the time, in my opinion. Uh, they let, let the roster really turn over. They couldn't sign free agents. Remember until after the draft, much after the draft, they couldn't even sign on drafted guys that year. Uh, and they traded Chad Johnson. They ultimately traded Carson Palmer that, that, you know, uh, fall. So, that was probably the closest thing I ever think to a rebuild, and it happened so fast, and they turned it over in one year and got a new star quarterback and receiver to make the playoffs year one. I mean, we thought there was a lot of people predicting they go 1-15 and 15 or, or, or worse, as worse as you can be, 0-16. But uh, they quickly turned it around and ter- went
2: from rebuild to quickly having one of the strongest rosters in the league within the next two years. Yeah, that's— That's that's true. I mean, looking, I'm looking at the roster now. So AJ Green and Andy Dalton were new. But on that team already, I guess, you know, Andre Caldwell, Jordan Shipley, Jerome Simpson were the other wide receivers. They had a pretty good offensive line was a rookie
1: best? if that's what you're looking at and wondering why he's backing up nate livings
2: i i wasn't but uh i was looking at andrew whitworth and bobby williams and andre smith and yep. i mean kyle cook was average at best and nate livings wasn't great right S- but still overall pretty good offensive line the running backs were a bit of a mess did they sign somebody that year to play running back is that yes Cedric this Benson? Is, no benson was oh nine that's what, or 08? They
1: he's what carried them those years uh they ended up really struggling uh, this year with, with running back. And it was Ben Jarvis Green-Ellis and really Bernard Scott, I want to say. Where are Bernard we looking Scott, at running back yeah. here? Yeah, Bernard Scott. And, yeah, I'm surprised Ben Jarvis Green-Ellis isn't listed
2: there because that's why they signed or drafted. Been before. Maybe it's the following year. Did they really hey. go a whole year with Brian Leonard, Bernard Scott, and Cedric Kierman as their running backs? I don't remember that. Is this the year they signed Larry Johnson halfway through? Could have been. Let's see. Let's look in the middle of the season here. Let's look in October. Cedric Benson. What? October 1st, 2011. Because 2009 was definitely Cedric Benson. Maybe Cedric Benson started the on the PUP that year? Oh, I know what. This has to When was this?
1: Or this, he was this is this is This is August.
2: 8-1? Cedric Benson was a free agent, so maybe they resigned yes, him Yes, because you couldn't
1: sign free agents at this point still. You're waiting for the lockout to be finished, and then okay. everyone had to sign afterwards. So this, you'd have to go to like nine Okay, here yeah, you go. to see what this is. Uh, yep, yeah, this is more representative.
2: The defensive line had a younger uh, Michael Johnson, Gino Atkins, Damato Pecco, Robert Gathers, Carlos Dunlap. Dunlap was in his second year. You're Rossy missing, Rutger. though. Um, before you go too far,
1: Bobby Williams. This is I knew that was, that was going to be his last year. He ended up getting oh, hurt, yeah. and they really struggled at right guard. Otis Hudson, right. Reggie Stevens, and Clint Bowling, who was not a right guard and was not ready to play right guard in their power scheme, being the point man. Uh, that's why he looked bad his first year. That's right.
2: But the defense was, was pretty okay. Uh, Thomas Howard was signed. He got hurt, but Brandon Johnson was a backup there. Dan Scuda was backing up Ray Maluga. Manny Lawson came over. So they had okay play there at, at linebacker. And then the secondary was good. Nate Clements, you, yeah. Leon Hall, Reggie Nelson, Chris Crocker when he was still relatively young. Nate Clements used to go inside to a nickel,
1: and he was really good. One of the best tackling corners of that generation. So, yes, going in, we've talked about this in the podcast. One other thing, though, can you go back to that?
2: uh, I I guess.
1: Go back to the depth chart. I only say this because we've had a few suggestions or or requests to talk about some past players and and sometimes obscure players. And I only think about this, and this wasn't the plan. We kind of are uh, freelancing this, this podcast a little bit. But I look at this tackle situation. I wonder how many people remember this. With Andre Smith and Andrew Whitworth listed as the starters, the backups were Anthony Collins and Dennis Rowland. And if you remember, Andre Smith at the time was being rotated at right tackle, and they kind of didn't know what they wanted to do with him. And this may have not been 11, but it could have been 10 also because Andre Smith was hurt as a rookie in 09. Uh, But they had like almost a passing game tackle and a running game tackle where Anthony Collins would go in as the passing pass blocker and then andre smith would go in and they also rotated dennis roland in at right tackle and he was also the uh the uh eligible tight end extra jumbo guy and dennis roland if you don't remember him he was I, I believe an undrafted guy but uh he was a technician just didn't have the ability he was a tall guy that was a technique guy but just was not the most athletic so he would go out there and he'd win sometimes and i think the Paul Alexander kind of used him as the example for Andre Smith and Anthony Collins because Collins wasn't a t- technician type. Uh, but just that rotation, I remember people going like, what are they doing? Uh, other O-line analysts were, I've never seen this before. I've never seen them rotate tackles. I just thought that was a interesting part in the Bengals' history.
2: That's a good note. Of course, Anthony Collins went on and got the Bengals, I think, a third-round compensatory pick when he flamed out in Tampa.
1: Him and Michael Johnson, so I'm not sure who was responsible for maybe he that, was a fourth year,
2: and Michael yeah. Johnson was a third so let's say i guess the last quote that is reported and this is all in a Fletcher page piece, I believe on the Cincinnati Enquirer website. Mike Brown was asked about his veto his his negative vote about the uh past interference review changes and I think that it's actually pretty salient with a lot of fans that don't want to see the game take longer, don't want to see New York intervening in the last few minutes of the game saying, oh, that's a Hail Mary. Let's make sure there wasn't pass interference there. I'm very curious to see how they'll implement this rule. And this is one of the times that I am kind of on Mike's Brown's side when he's a one vote out of 32 to to not change replay here.
1: I said that yesterday too, and I, I... I wouldn't have voted to challenge it. I think we can uh, do the right thing in other ways. In college football, how they pretty much review everything and and at times will correct a call. And if you watch the AAF leagues, they will go over and they actually got a camera right in their booth to watch these these refs go over the play. They will stop a play at any point if something egregious was missed and they'll say, hang on, this has to be called. Go back. This is definitely a personal foul face mask we need to – Adjust accordingly and continue,
2: yeah, so let's take a little bit of a break. Uh, we'll talk about Josh Rosen. I got his name right this time. I'm learning his name just in case he becomes a Bengal, and then I'll forget it promptly and start calling him Drew again whenever he signs or is traded to I don't know San Diego or
1: there's no San
2: Diego, but close, yeah, well, you know it's tough to keep up, <laughs> you know everything's changing. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back.
0: Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: Welcome back to the Locked On Bengals Podcast. We're kind of winging it today, and I don't think we had a plan on this podcast, but within a few hours of before we sit down and start recording and and at least gathering together a plan with Jake and I, we... uh, Got a lot of news, uh, not just Mike Brown quotes and stuff on A.J. Green and Andy Dalton, which excited us and and sparked some interest in the ripple effects of of that direction. But also that it sounds like Kyler Murray will be the first overall pick of the draft to the Arizona Cardinals, which will put their last year's 10th overall pick. And I'm saying that with a question mark because I believe it was 10. But uh, Josh Rosen is available for trade. And it's funny that just after a day uh, of – I want to say coaches at the owners' meeting saying they're, that guy's not available or we, we can't talk about him because he's not available and he's on another roster. Well, within 24 hours we find out he is available. So you wonder where talks are. Uh, you want to know who is interested and involved. I don't know that the Bengals are, but I like the idea of talking about it and debating it and slotting Josh Rosen in with these draft quarterbacks and you know, having some fun and, and kicking it around a little bit.
2: So a few things that I think we should talk about to preface this conversation. Uh, First off, Benjamin Albright tweeted that, no, the Bengals haven't asked about Rosen. This, of course, came in after we decided we were going to talk about Rosen. So maybe this is going to be a hypothetical.
1: But I will Uh, say also that I've heard a lot of things about a lot of different quarterbacks this offseason and never once Rosen. So that mostly when you hear me talking about it, it's because I think it's a good idea.
2: Right. Right. The second thing that I want to talk about is, and this is because John Gruden yesterday said, I didn't even know Trent Brown was available when he was in San Francisco and the Patriots traded for him. I would have loved to have traded for Trent Brown. And that got me thinking of how do trades happen in the NFL? And is it just as simple as teams need to be more aggressive about calling on guys they might be interested in? Why don't you pick up the phone and say, hey, what would it take for me to get Trent Brown from you? What would it take for me to trade for, you know, I guess Odell Beckham is one, uh, but it seems like often in the NFL, it's the team that's trading the player, not the team acquiring the player that's initiating talks. And sometimes rarely they're player for player swaps in the NFL. Most of the time it's draft picks for players.
1: Yeah. And I, it, this um, question Kind of, it's kind of a foreign thought to me because I grew up playing Madden and playing fantasy football. And if you wanted to trade someone, you openly talk about trading someone, or you actually have a trade block that you put these players on. And when you see in the news too that this player may be on the trade block, is the trade block a figure of speech, or is it a memo that goes out to all 32 teams and says, hey, we want to trade this? left tackle or whoever you want. Uh, and it kind of makes me wonder if it's more of what you hear from GMs and, and personnel people of, you know, I got a, I think Cleveland might be interested. Well, I got a good connection with that GM over there. I'm going to give him a call and see. And now draft trades I think are even more uh, transparent in terms of, well, we want to go up two picks. That guy has the is two picks ahead of us and that's the team we're going to call him to move up. So uh, I think that's a little easier. But when it comes to trading for a player, Man, if teams are stunned that another team makes a trade on a guy that they may have been interested in, well, that's kind of eye-opening and scary that your team may never have been involved or ever had the chance to offer anything uh, better, and For me, when I think of that, I think of uh, if it is a personal relationship or teams that you think would be interested like the Patriots seem to always be, I think of Brian Broaddus on Twitter. He's a good follow. He he does draft evaluation. He used to work for the Cowboys, I believe, as a scout. He may be still involved with them some sort uh, because I know he still does draft work for them. But Brian Broaddus has said before that the hardest team to trade with is the Cincinnati Bengals. And that if they're calling, you don't even pick up the phone, or or, or I think it was the other way around, you don't call the Bengals if you're looking for a trade-up or trade-down in that scenario because they're never going to give you a good deal. Uh, And that kind of, when you put those two and two together, makes you think that— you know, when we question, why aren't the Bengals calling about Darren Lee right now? Are they? Are, are the Jets even calling them? Who's being the aggressor in these type of situations? Add Josh Rosen to this, but it does make you question it.
2: Maybe maybe one day we can get Greg Linton on here or something. He can tell us how he can, he can give us a, a verbal history of how trades happen in the NFL. Yeah, we get someone on here. Maybe we can get a player that's been traded or something along those lines. I want someone involved in the business side of it. Because a player, that's I don't true. know, a player just like, yeah, I got Well, I want to know,
1: yeah, I want to know how a player finds out,
2: too. And that, that's what I questioned yeah. also. Do you it's not put Berfic. it out
1: there? Right. It seemed like Perfect knew, right, didn't it?
2: Well, I thought I thought somebody suggested there was some insinuation that Perfect found out he was released on social media. Yeah, the way he was acting, the way uh, teams called that's what
1: I was still thinking he was traded because I was be getting tipped off uh, about 10 days before he was released that the Raiders were calling and reaching out um, and trying to work out a trade. And then that, I think that was also reported afterwards he was released. Yeah. So, uh, yes, I think Perfect had an inclination around that time. If you're, if some people were keen on that, he was deleting some things off his Instagram and, and, take, and taking out mentions on his social media of, of Bengals and, and anything that may be... Um,
2: I don't remember what it was, but somebody... Made some insinuation. I'm, I'm, I don't remember if it was an agent or another player. Somebody made an insinuation. The perfect, maybe maybe it wasn't perfect, but found out. Anyways, yeah, I was
1: gonna say that. Do you not want to? If you're a team that wants to actually tra- trade John Ross, right? You don't want it to get leaked. You may send out a memo to all 30 teams that, hey, we're interested in trading this guy. But yet, if you don't get a trade, you don't want to really let that player know that you're putting him on the block. You really don't want to kill someone's confidence or really make a, a turn a situation into something other than ideal. So I wonder if teams don't actually put
2: it all out there to every team and really only talk to the teams they trust. It could be. And if that's the case, then who has a good relationship with Mike Brown and the Cincinnati Bengals, and you, the say, Buffalo Bills, the Buffalo Bills, exactly. <laughs> is that where you're going? <laughs> That's exactly who I was going to say. Uh, the Buffalo Bills are really the only team that has a recent history of dealing with the Bengals, and and there have been a lot of free agent back and forth. And maybe this is just because Andy Dalton threw a touchdown pass to Tyler Boyd in 2017, but. And they m- sent wings over, so everyone was happy. Everyone was happy, and because of that, there is a potential trade partner for the Bengals. But the Bengals have made some draft day trades that have worked out to be mostly fair. I would say um, everyone remembers when Mike Brown turned down an entire draft worth of picks when uh, Mike Dicka wanted to draft Ricky Williams. And
1: I think when Brian brought was
2: tweeting this, it was
1: basically talking about the old Bengals or, you know, even early into early two thousands, but they have, they've been a little more fluid on their draft board and uh, in, in moving. And they they traded back last year, right?
2: Well Yeah, they did trade swap. back and trade it up. Wasn't it wasn't it the pick swap with Cordy Glenn? Did they trade back another time? Three times then. They traded
1: back with Cordy Glenn. They traded back for Jesse Bates and then they traded up for Malik Jefferson. Right.
2: So maybe new Bengals are willing to make trades in the NFL draft. That being said, Joe, you tweeted that you would give up forty two for Josh Frozen? Rosen. You would maybe do a pick swap kind of deal. Maybe you give up uh, 11, if you get 33 in Rosen. Yeah. What have you heard? Have we seen anything about the offers that are out there? Or is that all speculative
1: speculation and rumors and stuff? Say the chargers are the front runner to land Josh Rosen, which is interesting because you have a r- aging rivers. You have also signed Tyra Taylor, as we've said, uh, Chargers, it would be interesting. And I, I wouldn't be. And I think I know another report said they've gotten a second-round offer, and they're waiting to see if they can get a first from anyone. So at the very least, it sounds like they're getting a second. So if you're listening to this and you're a Bengals fan that keeps saying, oh, just give them a third. Well, I, I, that's not happening. And, in fact, you may have to beat out three, four, or five teams for the services of Josh Rosen. And in doing so, that means 42 would probably beat a lot of teams. And then I thought of the scenario of a pick swap of, well, would you go back from 11 to 33 and get Josh Rosen in that based on the trade value chart? That's like giving a first-round pick, but you don't miss out on a premium selection. I think that one gives me more pause because I still think there's a chance a blue-chip prospect is there at 11, and I'd hate to see, like, man, imagine if the chart, I mean, the uh, Cardinals get Kyler at 1 and then Ed Oliver at 11. I think that would be a, a tremendous punch to the gut, even if you end up with a franchise quarterback in Josh Rosen.
2: Well, but that's what the I mean yeah there's an opportunity cost that is giving up a pick to another team and that makes it feel worse if you're just saying we're gonna trade 11 for Rosen and and you get nothing then yeah why would the Cardinals do it for one but then it's just you're drafting Rosen at 11 yeah so it's only a gut punch because somebody else picks in the spot that we've been thinking about for the last two months yeah you're
1: right that's a good point because I I thought of that when we traded back in the Cordy Glenn deal and I looked at Everyone who would have been still there at twelve, and who I believe, and I, I think we said this uh, recently, but uh, Dane Brugler of the Athletic said the Bengals would have taken Leighton Vanderess, or were at least eyeing Van Der Esch. The Cowboys believe the the Bengals in their mock drafts uh, were in on uh, Leighton Vanderesh. and so that's if that was the pick, that would have been really
2: cool. That would have been a great pick, but at the same time, then they wouldn't have Cordy Glenn, and you can debate the merits of Cordy Glenn. But then you draft Jonah Williams this year, and, and
1: are you better off in that scenario? Leighton Van Der Esch or Devin White, Devin Bush? I don't know. <laughs> you don't know that's so what you're going to say. I,
2: I mean, we don't opinion. we don't know what these guys are going to be in the NFL yet. Last oh, year, pre-draft, it would have it would have gone Roquan Smith. It probably would have gone Devin White second. It might have gone uh, Edmonds third. Nobody had Van Der Esch up with Edmonds and Roquan. I did. Okay, above, above, above Edmonds? Yeah,
1: I said he was in the same exact tier as Edmonds. Okay, same tier. Right, so you flip a coin, I guess. But, you know, I, I'm i just saying that the Bengals may have done that. It may have shocked a lot of people, I guess, but uh, it would have hopefully worked out.
2: We don't know what's going to happen with the guys in this year's draft yet. It's probably going to be like some fifth rounder that we haven't talked about yet. It won't be Blake Cashman or Ben burke Irvin, or Joe Giles-Harris or whoever you want to name. It's going to be somebody we haven't talked about.
1: Great. There's going to be a few guys that they're going to draft. Every year there are, uh, like Devonta Harris last year, I had no idea and I had to go back and watch. But there's always a few guys that I really love digging into afterwards and you look at them through a different lens because you know, they're wearing Bengal stripes, but uh, at the same time it reignites your fire when you know, they're on the, on the roster.
2: Yeah. So jo- so Josh Rosen, it sounds like it's going to at least take what second. First? It's going
1: to at least take a high second in my opinion, or they want that. They want a first, but they aren't in the driver's seat. If they've, it's known now that they're taking Kyler. And if that's the case, well, they aren't the team with the leverage right now, unless a lot of teams get involved.
2: What a life it must be to have Benjamin Albright sources. Cause that guy, when he says something, he doesn't miss. He's good. And that's why we talked a
1: lot about the Tannehill scenario for the Bengals. And it's funny. Cause even after Tannehill was traded to the Titans, people were in his mentions like, uh, uh, well, what happened to that? Well, I thought you were so strong on that. And he goes, you guys act like the Bengals weren't involved on that trade. And I was like, Oh, okay. Well, I'm glad it didn't work out that way.
2: Well, who knows what would have happened from there, Joe? Sure. Maybe, maybe <laughs> oh, they extend downhill for three years and, and then we're crying in our Cheerios, but maybe not. All right. So last segment of the show here before we sign off for the day and tomorrow we're already to mailbag weekend. So I'll give you a reminder on Twitter. I'll give you a reminder at the end of the show to get your questions in. Before we get there, Roto World's Evan Silva and Josh Norris collaborated on an NFL draft needs and draft options article for the Cincinnati Bengals. And according to Evan Silva, the needs for the team were quarterback, citing a 120 start sample for Andy Dalton, which I think is a sassy way to say, you know, we know what Dalton is. He's a roller coaster and he needs to be surrounded by a boatload of talent. This isn't to say he can't succeed, but he's only really had one great season. The second one is offensive line, which he cites that the Bengals finished 26th in tackle for loss rate allowed 25.6% of the time and 22nd in adjusted line yards and 19th in adjusted sack rates. Uh, obviously, still, there you got to quote this
1: next line though, because I love the the, the quote here it's trotting out swinging gate starters, <laughs> right tackle Bobby Hart, right guard Remon Redman, center Price, and left tackle Glenn. Only bowling held
2: his own, and there could be some debate there, perhaps specifically about Cordy Glenn, who wasn't great by his own standards but was an average, right? At left tackle, anyway. Uh, an early round offensive tackle could push for playing time on either side immediately. Of course, we've talked about the money that they have dedicated to those positions and it doesn't necessarily look like they could be an early starter to us, given the Bengals old ways, but third need, obviously linebacker, the Bengals linebackers have been bad for quite a while. And for the first time, it's really, really showed up in 2018. Jake how do you classify
1: the need for O-line then it it's still a need because they aren't good enough there and there's there's definitely opportunity for upgrade if they invest at guard or tackle early right and they could you draft a tackle he's better than Bobby Hart at 11 you that is the truth uh they draft a guard in the second round he's better than John Miller and and, and so there is definitely opportunity but will they play the guy number 1 and number 2 would it? They play better as a rookie than the guys you are currently scheduled to start? That's also debatable. They'd have to be good um, draft picks right off the off the bat, which isn't out of the realm of possibility. So, is it, considering it a need? Is it a need because it's the, the a bad position, a bad unit with opportunity to upgrade? But really, all five starters you could argue are set, and even a draft pick is not going to come in and make a dent unless they're spectacular and or someone gets hurt.
2: I think it's a fair argument to say that the Bengals' offensive line is set for 2019, and this is not to harp on the Bobby Hart signing, but because they gave Bobby Hart a boatload of money and a $6 million raise this year. Uh, if if he was back on a one-year, $2 million deal, then yeah, sure, right tackle is certainly in play. They improved at right guard in free agency. They have now probably averaged to slightly above average track record of right guard in... John Miller left guard. We know what it is center. We're expecting a second year step from Billy price and left tackle. We're putting our hopes on Cordy Glenn's health. Yep. But I mean, knowing all those things, you know, how Bobby Hart could implode at any time. And you know, that Cordy Glenn has a history of injury that that he contends with. So maybe a first round offensive tackle, Maybe he's not Still starting plays. this year, but he could certainly step in at left tackle if Cordy Glenn deals with injury again if Bobby Hart doesn't take a step. And yeah. if not, then he's probably starting next year because, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe they won't learn about Bobby Hart or maybe Bobby yeah. Hart will go out and post a PFF grade above 69 and we'll be shocked.
1: But I was going to say also, um, there is – I think a normal team would, even if they were stuck with this Bobby Hart contract – they would still be open to benching that contract if yeah. the rookie they drafted and Bobby Hart. Let's say Bobby Hart stinks again, just reeks. And you're six weeks in, and he's killing your offense and on uh, every 17s pass blocking, he's given plays, he's given up a pressure like he did last year. That happens. You say we gotta go to the rookie. Yeah, gotta go to the yeah. bullpen. Give me the righty, and you put him in. But also, Cordy Glenn, you should probably expect him to miss four games based on the average of what he typically does. So if you Put those together. There is a scenario where a rookie plays
2: still 500 snaps, and that's basically what they got out of Billy Price last year. Yeah, and then you're talking about the Bengals being a normal team that plays the best player. And 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 if if the Bengals didn't think Bobby Hart could go out there and start all 16 games, they wouldn't have given them. They would not have given him the money that they did. In and fact, that... I think they paid him because of it. He played the most snaps on the in the offense last year. Exactly. I think they part of the reason was they looked at him as this guy's durable. We've talked about this. We're, we're repeating ourselves. Yeah, I'm not going to. to talk about Bobby Hart for the rest of this podcast, if we That's can it. help it. So let's move into the draft picks that Josh Norris has proposed for the Bengals in 2019. In round one, Devin Bush, slow back, slow linebackers equal a slow defense. And the Bengals linebackers are slow. And Devin Bush is fast and I think 30% of people in a poll I saw today on Twitter say that yeah. they think Devin Bush is LB1. So there is a sizable... I think it ended up being
1: like 26, but still
2: pretty good. Okay, last I looked, it was a 30. It might have continued to go down. There is a sizable minority of people that think Devin Bush is a better linebacker, plays with more control, is more disciplined than Devin White. So that that is a possibility that exists in the world. In the second round... Josh Norris has the Bengals going quarterback with Daniel Jones, who they met with at the combine. Joe, any thoughts here besides that we we think that a quarterback is in play? Daniel Jones might not be there in the second. Exactly,
1: that's what I was going to say. Is Jones probably goes top fifteen in my opinion? And uh, and fifteen, yeah, so four quarterbacks. Yeah, it could happen. I okay. think Jones could go ahead of Haskins based on things wow. I heard today. Wow, and, okay. And if that happens, it will get really interesting and fun, I think, for Bengals fans because uh, I want him to go before 11 because I, <laughs> having that meeting with him at the Combine scared me a little bit. But, uh, yeah, that I, I think fit-wise, Daniel Jones makes a lot of sense if we're running a Rams-type offense with a lot of uh, RPO-type throws and um, – Stretch zone running and and just a, a lot of easy manufacturer throws in that offense and I think you get a lot of that with the Rams type offense too so I I think Jones makes a lot of sense.
2: Here's the thing with picking a quarterback second this year with Andy Dalton still on the roster is you're not using that sixteen million dollars for anything else this year, right? So. If they had gone out and spent that money and were floating closer to the salary cap than usual, I would say, yeah, they're going to go draft a quarterback because they know that they're going to get Andy Dalton's money back or they think that they can get Andy Dalton's money back. Maybe they are drafting... not winning this year with a rookie. No, but that's not the point. What are you saying? Well, what? what... I just think that if you're going to move on from Andy Dalton, you got to use that money right away. Well, oh, I think if you're going to move on from Andy Dalton and draft a rookie – the
1: largest argument and I even use this with Josh Rosen, the or largest detractor is: Well, will it even matter if they save ten to fifteen million? Will it even matter because will they even
2: spend it? And I think it's a fair question. Well, and I'm and I'm proposing that maybe maybe the Bengals don't, but they should. Oh, for sure. So yes, they could draft a quarterback and sit him behind Andy Dalton for a year, and then they spend that seventeen million dollars next year. And and maybe they, maybe they improve the roster somewhere next year. They just, I, I think that I want them, I want them to use the money. And if it's Daniel Jones and you, I, I mean, maybe Daniel Jones is Andy Dalton 2.0, right? And he's just the same guy. But if that's the case, then you need to maximize the cap. And that's exactly them. Right? Exactly. That's, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, it, it's, it's a lateral move. And then you need to spend the money to build up the team again. So you have another 2015 and 2021 or whatever right. it is.
1: Right. I know I'm with you completely. Yes, that's if you aren't getting a difference making quarterback, you better be be prepared as an organization to maximize the cap and roster for a short window run.
2: And the other thing is like maybe they can trade Andy Dalton right away. And we talked about this earlier. And if they can trade Andy Dalton right away, maybe that means that they go out with a Daniel Jones. They don't have a great year and then they're drafting high again. And they also have that extra draft picks to really build that team up for year two. And then year two, they take the step. Sure. Third, uh, Josh Norris has the Bengals taking Chuma Adoga tackle from USC, who's gained some steam, I think, aided maybe by Pro Football Focus, naming him as a sleeper. He was the guy you might remember from the podcast I mentioned, an NFL.com article mentioned as a player to watch for Bengals fans at the Combine. I think Chuma Adoga in the third round is pretty good value. He has the length. He has um, the athleticism excellent mirroring uh sam monson on the pff video when he was talking about chuma doga's asleep where he talked about twice at the senior bowl he mirrored an edge rusher re- literally from left tackle all the way around the arc to right tackle twice yeah. and he said yeah. that he's only seen that once maybe once from one other guy once a year
1: he uh, he was very impressive at the Senior Bowl, I thought, in terms of athleticism, long arms, really long arms, and low wide hands, and I think he can use a little upper body strength, especially midsection chest core strength. But even in run game, him and, um, oh, the Texas defensive lineman, DN, D-tackle type, you know what I'm talking about, um, Charles and Menehue. Yeah. They yeah. went at it, man. These are two guys with length. And in the run blocking drills, 11-on-11, 11 11, that was fun to watch those two guys. And they consistently ended up in a, in a stalemate uh, just two big guys locking horns. And, and when I mean big, it's really because they're, they're so long. And uh, I like the Doga. I like the Doga a lot, and I think he wouldn't be surprised to me if he went in the second round, to be honest. So yeah. uh, getting him in at 72 in the third round I think is a, is a definite uh, – Option. I honestly, I've grown on the idea of day two tackle because I really like a
2: handful of guys. Chuma Doga, Max Sharping, the guy from Washington Titus State, Titus Howard, Titus Howard, or not Washington State? He's not from Washington State, but, Which, but a lot of people
1: like Caleb McGarry too. I saw him in the first round. Yeah.
2: Who? What? What school is Titus Howard? Arkansas State, Alabama State. Ah, darn it! Almost got there. Anyway, Your
1: Washington was Andre Dillard.
2: You're thinking. Oh uh, no! I was thinking of Washington State. Yeah, that's not Washington State. Is No, McGarry. McGarry is Washington. I thought. I thought. I thought it was the other way. No. Nope. Okay. Red. My bad. Red, you're, silver, you're right. You're red right.
1: helmet for Dillard.
2: Yep. Fourth round. Kingsley Kiki, Texas A&M defensive lineman, who uh, is another a guy. Another Senior that, Bowl guy. Yep. Another guy who Josh Norris says can would be, I think, in the in the carry win roll. Yep.
1: Yeah. That's exactly what he is. He could play some end. I think he's an under-tackle, D tackle He's a nickel interior rusher, in my opinion. Uh, He gave some people some issues at practices. He stood out a bunch for his leverage and and off-the-ball quickness. I think uh, this is definitely one that makes sense to me in terms of fit and need. Uh, And I don't love Kiki Kingsley. Like, if this was Kalen Saunders, you guys know I I would love that. But I could definitely get behind a Kiki Kingsley pick on day three.
2: I, I, watched... I keep saying his name backwards and I can't help it. It just doesn't look right. Well, you'll get there. If he becomes a Bengal, just like I'll figure out drew Rosen's name is Josh. Whatever. Uh, And, and I watched a little bit of Kalen Saunders the other day and think that he will need some time in the NFL. Do you agree? before he can really make an impact or do you think he defensive can come in? tackles normally do need it need some time the speed maybe is, more so than than a typical I mean he's we're talking about him in the third or fourth round so maybe that's why
1: yeah and right if we're talking first rounder we should probably expect a little production but there's a reason he's not going higher and because he's coming from a small school and because of it yeah there's a lot of t- technique stuff and uh, you know some speed of the game that you're gonna have to adjust to.
2: Yeah, and just he, he, he got knocked pretty far back off the line of scrimmage. This a, su- a surprising amount for the level of competition. I did watch the North Dakota State game, which was apparently mm-hmm. his worst, one of his worst games. So yeah, maybe I need to go go back and check a little bit more. But I was surprised at how easily he was moved for that level of competition for the hype he's getting. Joe, why don't you talk us through the next few picks? I don't know these names as well. Once we get into this part of the draft, the next one is Javon Patterson, uh, an, inside lo- an inside offensive lineman from Ole Miss.
1: Yeah, he's a guard center prospect, and a lot of people like him as an upside day three pick. Uh, for the Bengals, I, uh, Josh North sends am giving them three offensive linemen in total. So I, with 11 picks, yeah, I, I could see that happening. Um, I think the interior of their offensive offensive line is pretty set, and I think they actually have some really good backups. So it would be interesting if you take a guy in the fifth round, where does he slot even with uh, Rod Taylor from last year in terms of uh, – oh, sure you know, being the last guard on the roster. So I think that could get a little bit dicey. But you could also, in this scenario, view Trey Hopkins more as a tackle. Also, and he'd be your fourth guy. So you keep Patterson as maybe the backup center in a reserve role. So for me, uh, not sure that he's got a spot on the roster, but I think a lot of people like him Like him as upside. The next guy, sixth round, first of the five six-rounders, Jordan Bralford out of Oklahoma State. Uh, good size, length highly athletic he was very productive this past year he's definitely like a day three target for me and there's only a few for edge rushers that i'm like i want to take a chance on that guy because he's got the measurements he's got the production sometimes the tape you just don't see him for a lot of it and that tends to happen with pass rushers and in, in college because uh there's so many plays i feel like they're not even involved in
2: but especially in that conference oklahoma yeah, state that's it's a lot so of wide open yeah your you're they're, three they're rushing, rushing yeah they're rushing three guys and yeah Sometimes a fourth.
1: Yep, they just disappear. It's just there's so many times we were just watching, and you go, okay, nothing happened that entire game on that tape. So uh, Bradford is definitely sixth. We're talking sixth round. I'd love that pick. Terry Godwin, uh, Georgia wide receiver is the next. For me, slot guy, but I think he's got some special teams uh, ability also. Josh Norris mentions his downfield receiving skills. I like a bunch of other receivers better, but we're talking sixth round. The Bengals need to probably – in my opinion spend an earlier pick like if that was fifth round instead of javon patterson because i'm not sure where his, his fit on the roster would be in 2019 if they spend a receiver there would be my only um gripe with this pick but i, I don't have a problem
2: Next, he day, also mentions that there are five six round picks and he expects the Bengals will trade one or two because i think we all should right Expect uh, yeah a, What do you do with five, six-round picks? Nothing. Two of them may
1: make your roster on a good draft, and the rest are practice squad getting cut or getting picked up by other teams. So uh, it's not worth it. And he he finishes the last uh, three picks here with Ataro Alaka, Texas A&M linebacker, Darius West, safety out of Kentucky, Sua Opeta, Weber State, offensive lineman, highly athletic, and then Kendall Blanton out of Missouri, which is someone actually I am uh, interested in and surprised he had him there in the seventh
2: round. And that's the only tight end that he has the Bengals taking. So yeah. I think maybe the fifth round pick is a tight end instead of an interior sure. offensive lineman, unless somebody's falling there. Uh, yep. You know, the, the first four picks, I think we can agree, all fit kind of with needs, either this year, next year.
1: And our... if the Bengals were going to take a quarterback, it'd be someone that presented extreme value, in their opinion, like Daniel Jones at
2: 42, right? Or Dwayne Haskins at 11, perhaps sure
1: right Depending on where they i'm have just them, right? i'm just saying if they didn't like take a franchise guy at 11 somehow you're there 43 like man daniel jones is still here we kind of like him we'll take him
2: yeah so we've been talking about random topics for about an hour and five minutes should we wrap it up
1: yeah this was our most uh Random, I think, podcast. But I wonder if people liked us going all over the place.
2: Well, let us know, Bengals fans. And also, just I told, you, questions. I re- I told you I'd told you remind you and Joe did it too. Get your questions in. We will put out a tweet on the Lockdown Bengals account sometime on Thursday. We are recording tomorrow. We're recording Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Get your questions in by then for a chance to have them read and answered on air. We hope you join us tomorrow for that. Until then, have a good one, Bengals fans.
0: Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this locked on podcast ad free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.